Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Greg Jefferson, a business editor and columnist. Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. And uh, before we get started this week, I wanted to mention something uh, from last week's show. We Last week, we had uh, state representative-elect John Lujan on. And one of the things we were talking about him uh, with was uh, the issue of vaccine mandates. We talked to him about uh, Governor Greg Abbott's recent ban on businesses mandating that their employee, employees have uh, received vaccines. During that interview, I mistakenly referred to this as a ban on mask mandates when I meant to say vaccine mandates. So I wanted to, to mention that in case anybody was listening and was confused by that. I apologize for that confusion, but that's what we were talking about. And I think he, I think he understood where I was coming from on that. But um, a lot going on uh, right now in Texas politics. Uh, uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, is uh, the announcement uh, Monday morning as we're recording this that um, f- former El Paso congressman, 2018 U.S. Senate candidate and 2020 presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke is now officially running for governor in 2022 on the Democratic side. Uh, and uh, there's, there's, I'm sure, a lot that we can uh, we can talk about regarding that. And we've got a guest today who I think is going to help us sort out all the things that are going on right now in Texas politics. Um, He's the dean of the San Antonio delegation in the Texas House, former chairman of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, and someone who's never shy about uh, expressing his opinions on all all things related to politics. Trey Martinez-Fisher, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's good to be with you all. Thank you. Um, I, like I said, a lot to get to, but I wanted to start off with something that was in the news last week, and it's regarding U.S. District 35. This is a newly open district. Uh, it's been represented um, by uh, Lloyd Doggett from Austin. This is a district that runs up the I-35 corridor from San Antonio to Austin, and Lloyd Doggett is now moving to the newly created uh, District 37. Uh, last month, you had expressed some interest in this seat, and but you last week you announced that you will not be a candidate. Um, could you talk, kind of walk us through what your process was when it came to deciding whether you wanted to run and, and why you decided uh, that you didn't want to do it right now? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, well first, it's, it's important to state that the District 35 was a district created 10 years ago and as an acknowledgement of the tremendous growth in San Antonio, Bear County and Hayes County. And, you know, a little bit of politics and political gerrymandering took that district from San Antonio and Hayes County all the way into Travis County, which was a way to sort of mess with Congressman Lloyd Doggett. And if you recall back then, 10 years ago, the district was pretty much a San Antonio anchored district. And you remember uh, then state rep Joaquin Castro announced a a campaign challenge to Lloyd Doggett immediately. Uh, And then if if it wasn't for Congressman Charlie Gonzalez retiring, you would have had Joaquin run in the 35. And so since that time, you know, Lloyd occupied that district uh, and, you know, for the you know several years that succeeded that. 
But as we approach redistricting this time, you all know that Austin now received its district back in Austin, wholly within Travis County, and that is Congressional 37, which now opens up this district. The only difference now, based on my analysis, is that the district no longer is anchored in San Antonio. When you look at it from 10,000 feet in the air, you see about equal population in both counties. But when you look at political performance and electoral performance, you see that folks out of Austin have a little bit of an advantage. Uh, and so for me, in my analysis, was the best thing I can do for my city uh, is, is not roll the dice uh, and run in a district that leans towards Austin. The best thing I can do for my city is roll up my sleeves, get in a courtroom like I always have in redistricting and fight for a fair map that will put this district, you know, once again, back in San Antonio. And so I think until that happens, you're going to probably see me working, you know, behind the scenes, working in the courtroom to try to make that a reality for for the folks in San Antonio. Because it's not just about me. It's about the kind of services we, we receive from our from our congressional delegation. We have to have that seat anchored in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, uh, so far, the, the the candidates that we know are running are uh, State Representative Eddie Rodriguez. Uh, we've got Austin City Councilman uh, Greg Kassar, uh, Austin activist uh, Claudia Zapata, who I think was planning on running against Lloyd Doggett even before we knew what the maps were going to be. Um, is, it, is it your, uh, I guess I wanted to ask you, do, do you uh, anticipate endorsing anyone? And then uh, secondly, is it your guess that if this map holds up, that there will not be a major San Antonio candidate in the race. I, you know, I, I think this, I mean, you know, my, my, my number one loyalty right now is, is to fix this map. And so, you know, in the coming days, you'll probably see some news about, uh, you know, my intervention in the redistricting lawsuit with respect to this congressional district. And again, I want to make it very clear. I want to, I want to center this district back in San Antonio. This is what was intended 10 years ago. Uh, and this is what we need to come back to and make sure that we live up to the legacy of that district. Until that time, you know, Eddie Rodriguez is a dear friend of mine. Uh, I've known him my entire legislative career. When I met him in 2001, he was a staffer for then Representative Glenn Maxey uh, out of Austin. And then Eddie has served ever since in 2003. And we sit together on the House floor. So we're pretty close. And I will be helping him. I don't, you know, think that, that this precludes a San Antonian from running, but I can tell you uh, anybody who's looking at this with a laser focus and and looking at political performance metrics, you will find, you know, the analogy we used internally is for every vote uh, the Austin candidates would get, I would need about 1.4 votes in San Antonio to offset that. And, and when, you know, you get into a political race like that with a district so large uh, with with Comal County and Hayes County, you know, sort of up for grabs, it, it's 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 it, if you have something to lose, you want to think about it twice. If you if you think you have an opportunity to take a shot uh, with no ramification, you know you don't have to give up a seat to do it. Then then perhaps that, this may be an opportunity for you. Uh, but but uh, I, I think what we need to do is give justice to the city of San Antonio and to bring a congressional district that's going to be anchored in San Antonio. I mean, just think about this, if you will. We're talking about the Alamo no longer being uh, in a San Antonio-based congressional district. We're talking about our Riverwalk. We're talking about UT San Antonio, a hemisphere park where, you know, Henry B. Gonzalez launched, you know, hemisphere in 1968. Uh, that district no longer will be uh, in a congressional district anchored in San Antonio. And there's something wrong about that. So, Trey, what opportunities still exist to... to uh to rectify the map. And so uh, what I think is going to happen is, is you know, there's been redistricting lawsuits filed uh, to challenge the congressional districts in the state house and state Senate district. 
That litigation looks like will be now will be litigated in El Paso uh, based on recent uh, uh, a motion to consolidate. You know, there were some cases in Austin. Uh, there's been some filings in El Paso, and I think the decision's been made that redistricting will be argued in El Paso. What what needs to happen is is you know somebody needs to come in and challenge the congressional 35. I intend to do that, and and it's a very simple argument. This is a this is a uh, this is a district that when when Lloyd Doggett represented this area, Austin stopped the Austin district line stopped at Town Lake. So as you came into Austin, right before you could even get to downtown, Congressional 35 ended. What has been done now in this map is this congressional district runs all the way north east of 35, but all the way north to Pflugerville. And, and when you do that, the Hispanic, the, the Hispanic metrics, what we call the Hispanic citizen voting age population, which is a very important legal metric for Section 2 analysis of the Voting Rights Act, which incidentally is the only piece of the Voting Rights Act that's actually still intact, that has not been dismantled through one Supreme Court opinion or another. That says that to have a minority opportunity district for Hispanics, it has to have at least 50% Hispanic citizen voting age population. Taking this district to Pflugerville has reduced the district from 53% to 48%, which is a major flaw. Uh, and I believe that to demonstrate that you can draw a map to get you back to 50%, the, the easiest pathway to do that is to is to add more people in San Antonio. Uh, and, and that's what we intend to, to, to at least advocate for in the courthouse. And I believe that that it should be a fairly easy and straightforward argument to get this district back to a Hispanic voting age population, which, and of course, will then, you know, provide more San Antonians. And that's how the seat will likely be anchored in San Antonio. I want to get a chance to talk to you a little bit about the, the 2022 midterms. Um, we're at a, we're at a, a place, uh, a lot can change in the next year. We're at a place where, you know, democratic president Joe Biden is, is pretty unpopular in the, uh, at least according to the approval polls that we're seeing. Um, but at the same time, governor Greg Abbott or, the Republican governor in the state is is showing that uh, he's he's unpopular, and there's some unhappiness with with what's been going on in, in state government. And um, you know, we always hear that the first uh, midterm for a for a, a president uh, results in the other party doing well. So you could draw a lot of the conflicting. Um, uh, you know, assessments based on, on the, the metrics that we're seeing out there. When you look at Beth O'Rourke's chances in the gubernatorial race and Democratic chances in general, I mean, what, what do you see and, and what do you think the best argument uh, for Democrats would be going into this uh, coming year? Yeah, I mean, hands down, the, the single biggest factor that'll, you know, sort of assess the 2022 election is the fact that voter registration numbers have gone up by 2 million in the state of Texas. That's pretty big. Uh, and it's big because our state is young and our state is diverse. So as, as, as younger folks matriculate to voting age population, they are very likely a very diverse, a very young, have a very progressive sort of worldview. And so I think that bodes well for Democrats. That being said, you know, voter suppression, redistricting, gerrymandering, that is just, you know, code for, you know, high hurdles, uh, tripwire on the ground. Uh, making it very difficult to go out and vote. And so that's how you sort of offset, you know, when, when you expand the electorate, the, the best way you can sort of suppress that turnout is you throw all kinds of rules and regulations to make it difficult to vote. And and and, and I was just reminded of just how hard it is to vote in the state of Texas when 
when I listen to Joe Manchin in Washington tell me, you know, how they vote in West, in West Virginia, I mean, we couldn't do half the things in Texas that they do in West Virginia to, to let people vote. Uh, that's how hard it is here. So I think that that'll offset the growth. Uh, you know, but, but the, on the issues, you know, yeah, I think, I think folks are pretty frustrated that, that we spend all of our time, you know, chasing, you know, uh, solutions, looking for problems or chasing red meat and, and wedge issues. Uh, and, and we don't focus on things like our power grid. We don't focus on things, uh, like putting money in schools. We don't focus on things about dealing with the, the state of the uninsured. Uh, you know, in, instead we, we, we throw things up like abortion and, and, and open carry and, and, and all the things that sort of misdirect people's attention uh, from what really matters uh, in terms of how our state will progress. Trey, uh, if you had godlike powers and you could say, OK, here's what Democrat Democratic candidates need to focus on in the 2022 midterms, both at the state level and in federal races, what would they be? What would the issues be? Well, the first thing would be just the environment. You know, I I, I was a. Uh, you know, reading, I'm reading a new book, uh, called Leadership, uh, by, uh, uh, Dorothy Kearns Goodwin, I think is her name. And she talked about when LBJ was elected, you know, he felt like he had a mandate of the country. He had a democratic majority in the Congress and he pretty much woke up saying, you know, I could be very unpopular in a short amount of time. And then they just, they just hauled butt getting things done, you know, Medicare, voting rights, civil rights, just bam, 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 bam. I think we need to change the tempo in Washington. If I had godlike powers, we would change the tempo. And we wouldn't have this manana moment where we just think we're going to get it done, manana, manana, manana. You know, and that means, you know, extending congressional work sessions, working weekends, working late. If we know reconciliation, that budget process that they can go overnight, let's do it sooner than later. Uh, I, I think, you know, we have to do that. Secondly, I think that we've got to let people know that government actually does stuff for people. That's the biggest concern I have when I knock on doors. You know, I knock on a door and I'm making my pitch to a voter and they're giving me that look, you know, like, yeah, whatever. And, and when you think about it, you know, and I'm not saying this happens at every door, but look at this, you know, think about this mindset for a moment. You have a voter saying, okay, I, you know, I don't have a very good job uh, because I, I, I probably, didn't finish high school or I got my GED. So I didn't get a great education. I don't have a good job because I don't have a good job. I don't have health care because I don't have health care. It's hard for me to make ends meet. Uh, I have rent due at the end of the month. Can you remind me what exactly has government done for me? You know, because every, every, by my, my, my read, you know, government just has a tendency to get in the way. So, so what are you running for and how are you going to make my life better? Uh, and I, and I think that we have to, we have to govern from that mentality uh, of not not the folks that are making good policy and not the think tanks and not the academics, but but the folks that have to live with the policy. And I think that's what the president started to do by giving, you know, advancing the child, you know, child credits for families, for working families uh, to come up with a domestic agenda that's going to put people and workers first. I, I think we have to show a little bit of gratitude, uh, you know, and, and work that way up to the top. And of course, I understand you have to pay for everything and I understand you have to pass it and you have to find a way to pass it even in a 50-50 Senate. But I, I think that we need to, to let people understand that government, that there is such a thing about government doing good things for people and, and, and we have to get back to that that sort of mentality. Trey, yeah, this is, I think, your 10th legislative session that you, this year, uh, not counting special sessions. And uh, this, you served 10 legislative sessions under three different governors 
from the outside, it felt like this session, this year's sessions were different. This was that, that they've been contentious before. Obviously there's been division before, but it felt like this was on a different level and that there was kind of this, uh, this zeal to kind of uh, fulfill this culture war agenda on on the the opposing side from the inside did it feel that's that the, something different was happening this time yeah what what i think is happening is uh, you know there, there's something to be said about the institution of the house and I think that, you know, that, that every every session I've been in, you know, there's always a certain amount of dignity and a certain amount of self-respect uh, that, that we have is, hey, we're the House. And that means something. That means that, that we're not going to do what the Senate wants. We're not going to do what the governor wants. We're going to do what the House wants. And, I, and I've seen this erosion, uh, you know, Speaker Phelan, Dade is a nice guy. I mean, he, he under in the Bonin years, as, as Speaker Bonin, Dade was a chairman of a committee. I was a chairman of a committee. I had a dispute with a Republican chair of a committee and, and, and it was in Dade's, our, our fight was in Dade's committee. And I went, I went to Dade thinking, okay, I'm just going to get my ass handed to me because I'm, I'm a Democrat in the minority. I explained to Dade my problem. Dade said, Trey, I'm not going to have this leadership fight with you. We're going to get the other chairman that you disagree with. We're going to sit in a room and we're going to work it out. And, and, and so Dade's a good guy and he wants to do the right thing. But now, yeah, as he governs as speaker, I've noticed that it seems to me like he defers a little bit too much or he fails to speak out uh, in pushing back on what Governor Abbott wants to do. Uh, and, and, and so these special sessions have been nothing but a raw reaction to what Governor Abbott wants to do. And, and, and forget for a moment that, that some of these ideas were already rejected in a regular session it doesn't give the governor the right to come back and say, hey, even though I know you had no appetite to do this in 140 days, I want you to do this in a 30-day window. That's where a strong leader would push back and say, hey, governor, been there, done that. Don't bring me that. Don't put that on the call. You're not going to like what you get. And so we, we've, so I think we've lost a little bit of this sort of acknowledgement for the institution. And then even worse, as our, as our, as our house body, by way of its members, as it gets younger, and and you lose that institutional memory. You have all the young rank and file members that think that this is the way it's supposed to be, uh, and that's a real challenge for the older guys. And it really puts it really puts a lot of responsibility on me to let folks know that that's not the way we do things, and we need to do it better. Forget about politics for a minute. Let's 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 protect this institution. And once we protect the institution, then we can get back to fighting about things we don't agree on. Trey, I, I, I want to ask you a little bit about you know I know you've you've followed you know the Latino vote in the state. Uh, particularly closely over the years. And, you know, we've, uh, there's been a lot written over the last year about um, Republicans uh, outperforming expectations in some parts, uh, some, you know, uh, parts of the state that have a, you know, strong Latino population, particularly in certain counties in the Valley. Um, I mean, maybe some of this has been exaggerated a little bit, but there, there has, there, you know, there was certainly was some, some evidence that, that Republicans were doing better than expected in some places. Um, this week we've learned that, um, Ryan Gein from Rio Grande city is flipping from the democratic, uh, to the Republican party. I know he's not, uh, never been one of the more, more liberal members of the, the Texas house on the democratic side. But when you kind of look at what's going on there, do you have any concerns about the democratic party connecting with Latino voters in the state? You know, you, you always do. And, and I think that, you know, from a competitive standpoint, uh, Republicans are, are, are showing a determination to 
to sort of, you know, tap into a market that they've really had very little luck uh, in, in the past. And when you think about it from a big picture, uh, this is a this is a, a very raw reaction by Republicans to make up for ground that they're losing uh, in, in the suburban parts of Texas. So, you know, not not to confuse Texas with Virginia, where the suburbs sort of went back to the Republicans in the last election a couple of weeks ago. In Texas, uh, the, the the suburban areas are trending more and more Democratic, uh, and and they have in the last election. They probably will in 2022. So, if you're a Republican, you have no chance in the big cities. You're losing the suburbs. You have to go somewhere, uh, and, and this is now ground zero. Now, let's not forget for a minute that this is the same Republican Party that wants to, you know, deport uh, uh, immigrants, uh, largely Latino. This is the same Republican Party that uh, comes up with, you know, voter ID and voter suppression, uh, and, and comes up with policies that have disproportionate impacts on communities of color. This is the party of Show Me Your Papers, SB four. And so they really have to sort of walk a lot back. And can you imagine the amount of groveling that they are doing to sort of walk it back? And now they find themselves competing in areas or wanting to compete in areas of South Texas. One of the advantages that they have is they don't have an active Section 5. And, you know, I know I'm a little wonky on the voting rights stuff, but for your listeners, you know, Section 5 is the part of the Voting Rights Act that says you cannot you cannot be retrogressive in your policies. So if you have a if you fi- if you have five Hispanic state reps in the valley, you can't come back with a map that has four. You can't you can't go backwards. And so with Section Five is no longer applicable. And so you get to play with the map and gerrymandered in a way where you don't have to answer for that in a federal courtroom or through you know or or at the Department of Justice. And so what they did to Ryan Gian's district is they turned it into a 39% Joe Biden performance district. Uh, and they did that by throwing in Wilson County and some, and some very, very conservative counties, uh, into his home county. Now, Ryan's not a bellwether for progressive positions, but he, he does vote to expand Medicaid. Uh, he, he has vote, he votes a lot with Democrats. So, so there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of, 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 of hoodwink going on here. Uh, but I think the, the broader message for Democrats ought to be is, is, uh, we're, we're not going to cede an inch of this and, and we need to go back and go, you know, blow for blow with Republicans on, on who's doing more for working Latinos in the state of Texas. And, and I think that, you know, it'll be a very, 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 you know, stark contrast. Uh, but, you know, our Democrats in South Texas and, you know, they, they, they don't have general elections. They generally have primaries. And so this this is really of a lesson that that they need to engage, you know, 365, not just during, you know, political primaries. Trey, I was going to ask with uh, the announcement by Beto O'Rourke that he's running for governor. um, Do you think some of his past comments uh, are really going to stick to him in a negative way here in Texas with regards to uh, guns and uh, so forth? I mean, you know, I think you always have to, you know, be leery about things that you say and, and how it comes back and and could hurt you uh, in a, in a primary. Obviously, that's not going to be the case uh, as he as he pivots into a general election. I mean, of course, he's going to have to answer to that. Uh, I think he's very unapologetic about his position on on guns, uh, considering what happened in his hometown of El Paso, and and I also think that he's you know done a very good job of of, of traveling the state, going to to parts unknown to connect with people that he has nothing in common with. And, and so I think that it'd be horrible in politics that you have somebody that you agree with a hundred percent on every single issue. I just, you know, I haven't found that person yet. 
and, and I think that 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 you know for Beto's case, uh, you know, while he may have a different position on guns, I, I'm sure he's he's going to be able to find common ground on, in other areas, and and, and that's what's going to make him an attractive candidate uh, for crossover voters. Yeah, Dre, I've just got a quick question for you about Congressional District uh, 28. So uh, under the new map, uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar, who's a pretty conservative Democrat, he uh, gains much more of San Antonio. <clears throat> he loses uh, Wilson County. Uh, he loses Hidalgo, I believe. So he's facing Jessica Cisneros, uh, uh you know, progressive from Laredo. He had a pretty close one two years ago in the Democratic primary against her. Uh, how nervous should he be, do you think, going into this primary, the 2022? Well, I, you know, I think, you know, Henry was very clear in the aftermath of the last election that he he really, you know, he really showed up and started, I mean, and started really investing in the party. He's always been a big supporter of the party, but just, you know, wanting to be very clear that, that, you know, he, he wants to be part of the Democratic family and he wants to, to work with progressives. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a, 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 a you know, sort of a, a to-do list, you know, based on his last election. This time around, uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be the same thing. I, I think uh, he, he, in San Antonio, he had, a, you know, a very significant challenge uh folk voters in the northeast uh part of san antonio really came out for jessica and i think he recognizes that and and i think that 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 henry you know from what i can tell is is already you know preparing for a campaign and and gonna run you know run like he's behind 10 points and so i don't think he takes anything for granted but i also think again as this state changes and as voters get younger and more diverse i i think their policies tend to be more progressive uh, and and I think that that's something that Henry's going to have to to really you know uh, you know sort of decide you know how, how does he want to be perceived in that democratic space? He comes from a you know sort of centrist you know co- conservative part of the of the Democratic caucus, but he, the more real estate he picks up in San Antonio, I think he's going to find himself with you know, find himself with younger and more diverse voters, which typically transcends into you know a little bit more progressive policy views. Yeah, I mean, I should have pointed out that he got trounced by Cisneros in the Democratic primary in San Antonio, though he won overall. What's he going to have to do to appeal to a younger electorate in San Antonio, like specifically? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think uh, I think he's going to have to you know spend more time in San Antonio. Number one, uh, you know, picking up a big chunk of San Antonio is probably not a really good idea, you know, if you're not well known in the area and maybe, you know, so I, I, I was, you know, really impressed with Justin Rodriguez, our County commissioner who looked at some posts over the weekend on Facebook that he's already knocking on doors on the new part of precinct Two, introducing himself to, to folks. And, and I, I think along those lines, I think it's important to get out and, and get to know those voters. And like, like you mentioned, I, I think he, he, you know, he, 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 he didn't win, uh, you know, as, as with high margins in Bear County as he did in Webb County and, and uh, it'd be incumbent upon him to, to get to know those voters. And, 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 you know, Jessica's going to be working hard. Uh, she, she ran a good race last time, came up short, but uh, apparently, you know, is, is back at it again. So it'll be, it'll be a competitive race. Trey, one last question before we let you go. Um, you talked about legal challenges to the redistricting maps. Uh, 10 years ago, as a result of, of, you know, some of the, the legal battles, the, the, primaries got pushed back a couple of months. Uh, one of my 
theories that I, that I tell people all the time is that I think we, we may have not had a U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, if not for the, the election, the primary election being pushed back a couple of months because it sort of bought him time. And it, as he was kind of gaining on, on David Dewhurst in that primary, uh, is it your, your expectation that, that the, the primary uh, the dates are going to get pushed back? You know, there, there's, it's not an automatic and, you know, here's a couple of things. I mean, there's, if, if you look at the redistricting maps that were passed this fall, the effective dates of those maps are for January of 2022. Well, filing for office began this past Saturday. And so are we filing in our current districts? Are we filing in new districts? Uh, there's been some state challenges in the courtroom to the county line rule. The last time the county line rule was challenged, I believe in the 1980s or so, the entire map was enjoined uh, at the, the state district court which really throws things off. So look, anything can happen in redistricting. Uh, and, and so, and if, 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 you know, if it throws off the election schedule, so be it. I think the Republicans are thinking that because we passed legislation now to deal with changing the dates of elections so that the state would have more control over it and not let a federal court decide dates and deadlines. I imagine that's the aftermath of David Dewhurst uh, losing a race everybody thought he would win. So no, I don't think it's an automatic and I think anything can happen. Uh, and, and let's not say, you know, let's not forget for a moment, if if the Freedom to Vote Act passes in Washington, like Leader Schumer is indicating he'd like to pass it before the end of the year, if you read the proposal, that legislation says it is the intent of the law to apply to the 2022 elections. That is the absolute wild card. That can change just about everything. As a matter of fact, it changes how you file lawsuits to challenge redistricting, including especially cases dealing with partisan gerrymandering. So a lot can happen, man. I think we can. We need to just you know b- buckle our seatbelts and 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 be ready for the ride. Yeah, State Representative Trey Martinez Fisher, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you all. I appreciate it. Let's do it again. Yeah. And for everyone uh, listening, I hope everyone's doing well. We'll be back with you next week. Take care.